They wanted a sign. The same Pharisees who just accused Jesus of casting out demons by the authority of Satan <laughs> looked at him and asked him for a sign. Hey, Jesus, cool miracles. We think that's really from Satan. Do another one. <laughs> Matthew 12 tells it, like, tells it like this. Matthew 12, verse 38. Then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered him. Jesus had really just laid into them a little bit. They answered him saying, Teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. But he answered them, An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and behold, something greater than Jonah is here. At one point or another, we've all been like the Pharisees here. God, just give me a sign. Sometimes it's for help knowing which decision to make. We don't know what to do here, God. Help us know what to do. Give me a sign. And sometimes we want Him to prove who He is. God, if you are who you say you are, show me. Give me a sign. Jesus here in Matthew 12 told us that there's only one sign we need from Him. The sign of Jonah. You know, last week we studied Jonah chapter 1 and how Jonah was thrown off the boat to save the lives of the sailors. He was thrown off the boat to satisfy God's wrath. He was in disobedience to God and was paying the price for his rebellion. He was thrown into a raging sea to his certain death. And I'm so thankful for godly men like Jim Corth who were able to handle the word so faithfully. And I don't know about you, but I was very blessed to be under his teaching last week. And now, yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah, we should praise God for that. I think that's, that was light, that's light, but we understand here. It's, it's not something we should take for granted here as a church, that God has given us men who can preach the word. Um, I, that's, that's inten- I wouldn't plan on going here, but that's intentional for us as a church, that I'm not the one who preaches 100% of the time, because this church isn't built on Mark Navy, it's built on Christ. <laughs> And we want to be a church that's all about Christ, and I believe that there's other men who are gifted to handle the Word well, and so um, just very thankful for, for how Jim brought the Word. I was convicted and encouraged, and I uh, felt like it was a way that through the text last week I could just adore more of Jesus, adore Jesus more. I hope you felt the same way. But in Jonah chapter 1, Jonah is thrown off the boat. We're going to finish chapter 1, and we're going to go into all of chapter 2 today. So if you've got your Bibles, I'd love for you to flip open to Jonah. It's in the second half of the Old Testament. Jonah chapter 1, we're going to be in, we're going to start, I'll actually start here in verse 16. So as you're finding your place, I'm going to be recapping from verse 16, and we'll go into verse 17. The men picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. So while these 
sailors were worshiping God, making sacrifices, what's happening to Jonah? Well, let's look at verse 17. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Then Jonah prayed to, his, to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, we're now in chapter 2, so keep going with me here in chapter 2, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and all your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped about my head at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars were closed upon me forever." Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. What we're reading here is really Jonah's testimony. Jonah, this is Jonah, most likely is the one who wrote this book, and he's re looking back and saying, This is what I prayed while I was in the stomach, while I was in the belly of that great fish. I called out to the Lord, he says. A testimony is something that we talk about in churches a lot. Like, you, you know, a testimony is a powerful thing. A testimony was a testimony. Well, a testimony is really just a person's story of how God has worked in their life. That's generally how we use it. What's your testimony? How has God worked in your life? How do you see God in your life? Well, something we can learn from Jonah is that we should not only share our testimony with others, but Christians, we should pray our testimony. Have you ever considered that? We should pray our testimony. We should. Thank God for what He's done in and for us. God, I see what you've done in me. Here is what you've done in my life, God. Thank you. And that honors Him. I mean, have you ever had someone tell you how they've been blessed by something you've done? That someone has come up to you and said, hey, I was watching this and I saw it and it was awesome. Or, hey, do you remember that time that you helped me with this? That was just very meaningful. Thank you so much. That, that is valuable to us. It's no different. God loves to hear what He has done for His people. It's a way that we praise God. It's us praising Him when we pray and tell Him what He's done. It's not that He doesn't know. It's not that we're surprising Him with our affection, but He desires us to give that affection to Him. So Jonah's here praising God, giving, giving God credit for what's happened in his life. And he's just being honest with God. So I want to encourage you, church, talk, talk to God honestly like Jonah here. I mean, tell Him about your day. Talk to him about your week and your struggles. I mean, you may not have been swallowed by a fish, but you may feel like you're in this cold, dark, smelly place. You may feel like you need saving. So many of us feel like we need saving, and it's not the same obvious look of being trapped in the bottom of the ocean, but we feel that. We should express that to our Savior. We should express that to our King. Really, there's never a wrong time to call out to God. You don't need to be trapped in this worst place to call out to God. If we're praying like crazy, we should be talking to God about the details of our lives all the time. I mean, He desires that, and so should we. In verses 1 through 6, Jonah is sharing this harrowing descent to the bottom of the ocean. And in the text, something we learn about God is that 
God is in control of our descent. I'm going to label it that way. God is in control of our descent. Look for yourself at verses 1 through 6. What can you tell me that you learn about God? He didn't leave or forsake Jonah. That's what we see here of how he treats Jonah. He doesn't leave him, doesn't forsake him. He, in fact, listens to him and answers him when he calls. From Jonah's death and distress, God heard him. Now, now listen, pause here with me and look at this. This would be just as true of God, these things, that he didn't leave or forsake Jonah, that he listened and answered, that he heard him in his death and distress. All this would be just as true of God had he not sent the fish. We wouldn't know about it, (laughs) but it would be true of God. He still cared about Jonah, still heard Jonah, still heard his prayers. God doesn't need to save someone from their bad circumstances to prove that He's present and good. God didn't need to save Jonah from drowning in that ocean to prove that he was present and good. Now, in this testimony, in Jonah's story here, God does save him. But this truth about who God is, that he is present and good, is true whether those bad circumstances are a consequence of our own sin, like Jonah, or just a consequence of sin in general. In our lives, we can feel consequences of both. When when God created the world, this is a crucial point for us to understand. When, When God created the world, there was no suffering. All suffering then, biblically, all suffering is a result, is playing out of sin. All suffering is a consequence of sin in general. That sin exists is why there is suffering. When God created the world, there was no suffering, there was no pain, there was no hardship. If that seems too good to be true, no, the world didn't exist like that. Yes, it did. (laughs) Turn to Genesis 1, look. Turn to Genesis 2, look. We can see the way the world was. God created it perfectly without this hardship, without suffering. That was reality. That all changed when Adam and Eve sinned. Their sin introduced sin into creation. And all of creation has suffered from sin's presence in general. That sin is present in general causes suffering. There, there are things that will happen in your life that will destroy you that are not because of your individual sin. But because sin exists in the world at all, we will suffer. That's, that's true. That's biblically true. It's a key principle for understanding and applying what's happening to Jonah here. Not every bad thing that happens in your life is a consequence of one of your sins. In my quiet time this week, as I was reading the Bible on my own, one of the stories that I read was the story of Lazarus. As Jesus was doing ministry, Lazarus became sick and died. And I really believe Lazarus, it's in John 11, the picture of Lazarus is a picture of this, that Lazarus, it wasn't an individual sin that caused Lazarus to die. It was sin in general that brought this suffering. But Jesus was not far away. He wasn't unavailable. He didn't, he didn't choose to show up and do something in that moment, but he wasn't far away. He wasn't unavailable. He could have been there had he wanted. He was available. As far as we know, Lazarus' death wasn't any consequence for any individual sin of his. He just 
died because death is a part of a world with sin. But you probably know Lazarus's name, even if you're not a Christian. Even if you're not someone who comes to a church building and hears preaching every week, you may know Lazarus's name because you know Lazarus died, but you might also know that what happened to Lazarus? Yeah, Christ, Christ raised him from the dead. Jesus raised him from the dead. And you might think, look, Mark, you're telling me that not every bad thing that happens is my fault. You've also told me that God is still good, even if he doesn't save Jonah from the fish. But here he's, he's saving Lazarus from the dead. There's still this miracle here, here at the end. Jesus still did a miracle for Lazarus. Why won't he do a miracle for me? Or he didn't do a miracle for me. Or you might be thinking of a loved one that has passed away, or you might think, God, God didn't raise that person. But Christian, he hasn't raised him yet. For us as Christians, the great hope of our life is that our salvation, the miracle of our salvation, isn't done when we die. <laughs> the miracle of our salvation is that Christ will raise us to life as well. Don't forget that our, our, the miracle of our, our salvation doesn't end when we die. Our bodies will be raised. We will have eternal life with Christ. Lazarus was a foreshadowing of the miracle that every believer will experience in Christ. And Christian, what a beautiful truth for us that we get to follow in those footsteps of being raised from the dead. Jesus is near to you even if you don't feel it. Even in our most difficult, most terrible moments, Christian, our hope shines through because we believe that our God raises the dead. Do you believe that, Christian? Do you believe that, that God raises the dead? Jesus is near even when we don't feel it. And we should be cautious not to assume that every bad thing happens to us as a consequence of an individual sin. But like it's evidenced in Jonah, there will be suffering in the life of God's people that is a consequence of sin. We know that we all sin. None of us escape sin. And so there will be consequence for our sin. That's what's happening here with Jonah. We know that God disciplines those He loves. That's what he tells the church in Laodicea in Revelation chapter 3. Reve- Revelation 3.19 says this, Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. So if God loves you, there will be discipline in your life. It can be an uncomfortable talk topic to talk about the discipline of God. Generally, we don't like to think of God as someone who disciplines us. We like to think of Him who only gives like these nice, good gifts. Well, discipline is a good gift. Discipline is a good gift. For many of us, that doesn't seem like it could be, but when we think of God's favor, we think it looks like ease and comfort. We're like, oh, God's favor on us looks like my wealth and my ease and my comfort, and that his disfavor looks like pain and discomfort. But the favor of God was on Stephen as he was being stoned. In this life, sometimes we take the world's lenses and put it on every circumstance when we should be taking the lens of Christ 
and putting it on our circumstances. The topic of God's discipline on His children shouldn't be uncomfortable for us. After all, we know that the discipline of a parent is a sign of love. That a parent who disciplines their child is doing it from a place of love. Human parents will imperfectly discipline, but God perfectly disciplines. So we celebrate God's discipline perfectly. And if a child's wise, he's grateful even for the imperfect discipline of his parents. I mean, so many of you right now are adults thankful for your parents' discipline. So many of you right now are still living in your parents' house not grateful for your parents' discipline. Give it time. I'm telling you, your parents discipline from love or should or can. As Christians, our goal is to discipline from love. That we discipline in the same mindset and heart that God disciplines in. You might have a hard time telling a six-year-old that just got spanked or just had time out that his parents do it from love, but it's true. And a wise child, think about this, a wise child doesn't grumble against a parent for their discipline. A wise child doesn't grumble against a parent for their discipline. They thank them. Again, that might take some distance from the discipline. But wisdom doesn't need much distance. Wisdom sees it for what it is as soon as possible. That this is someone who loves me and is course correcting for me. That sees problems I can't see yet and is helping me along the way. Christian, we have a perfect Father who disciplines us perfectly. I mean, look at what look at what Jonah says here in the text in Jonah two. Jonah says, "It was you, God, who cast me into the deep." In verse three, he says that it was you, God, who cast me into the deep. It was your waves and your billows that passed over me. And is he angry at God for this? Is he upset at God over this? No, Jonah actually here sets a good example for us. It's an example of someone who is zealous and repents. Look look back at verse 4. Even though he ran away from the temple of God, he genuinely commits to turn back. He turns back to the presence and fellowship of God. That's what he says in verse 4. Look, I'm going to see the temple again. I'm I'm looking, I'm going to see the temple again. Here's a man not grumbling over his suffering, over his consequence. He's grateful. For us, this doesn't mean that we can't mourn, that we can't be hurt, that we can't feel uncertainty. It means that in the midst of all of it, we look at God with gratefulness because He hasn't left us. If you have been saved by the blood of Jesus Christ, He has not left you. The truth is that whether we are suffering because of sin, being in the world generally, or because we're being disciplined because of sin individually, our response to God is the same. We look to Him for help. We run to Him. Like Jonah, we look to God as our shelter and our fortress. We look to Him as our hope. Think about a child who falls and and hurts their knee. They run to a parent for comfort. Think about a child who has a consequence for something they've done wrong. 
Still, that child will run to the parent for comfort, even if it's the parent that's giving the discipline. Our life should look similarly as we go through suffering. We run to Christ either way. The goal of God's discipline for Jonah wasn't to hurt him. It was to restore him. It was to have fellowship with him. This is true for his goal with us too. God doesn't discipline us to hurt us. He disciplines us to restore us. So if that's true, we don't have to be afraid of discipline. Church, we don't have to cower in fear of God's discipline. Instead of living in fear of discipline, we can live in pursuit of God's presence. Because then we don't see discipline as our enemy. We see discipline as our friend. God, thank you. Help us. Help us know you, whatever it takes. And whatever it takes is maybe the hardest prayer of the Christian life. But it's the prayer of the commitment that says, God, you are my great reward and I mean it. Whatever it takes. Make it true for me that you would be my great reward. If we see Jesus as our reward, then any time and any way he corrects our course, our response is gratefulness. God, thank you for putting my eyes back on you as our treasure, as my treasure. God shows us in Jonah that no suffering in our lives happens outside of his authority. He's in control. Even during the hardest times, in, in everything that might feel like a descent for us. You think about Jonah going into the ocean, falling all the way down to the bottom, being scooped by this fish. Every bit of that would have felt like falling and falling and falling. God was never not in control. Every moment of that, God was in control. I think about in your life, you might feel like every day feels a little bit like falling. You can't get control. And it feels out of control, that things are wrong, things are unfixable. God is still in control. God hasn't let go. God isn't distant from you. God's control is good news for us because it means that we can always trust that He can deliver. And that's Jonah's testimony. As we're looking at Jonah's prayer here, that's his testimony. That's his praise during his prayer. He was at the bottom of the ocean covered by weeds and roots in verse 6. And then look at the end of verse 6. Here's what he says. Yet, I thought my life was gone. Yet, you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. Tell me which pit is too deep for God? Which pit is too deep? Which ocean floor is unreachable? What sin is too great that God can't save, that God can't reach you, that God doesn't hear you, that He is far from you? As last week, we were challenged to pray for the Jonas in our life who were running from God. Which of them could have been more hopelessly lost than Jonah? Don't doubt God's mercy and grace. Don't doubt His power and authority. He's in control. It's His control that gives us such faith, that gives us such hope. He's in control during our descent. He's also in control of our deliverance. God is in control of your descent, yes, like Jonah. And yes, like Jonah, He's in control of your deliverance. Jonah says this in verse 7. 
Jonah chapter 2, verse 7. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you, into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have, owed, what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. One of the strangest verses of hope in the whole Bible. <laughs> Jonah knew where to turn. Jonah knew where to turn. He remembered the Lord. Look at that in verse 7. He remembered the Lord. Even as his life was fainting away, as it was passing by, he remembered the Lord. Even from the very bottom of the ocean, his prayer came to God. And God, just as he directed the wind and the waves, just as he controlled the billows, he also directed the fish to vomit Jonah safely on the shore. How many times do we find ourselves too dirtied from sin to feel like we can pray? Even at the bottom of the ocean, in rebellion against God, your loving Father will hear you. I think about the most righteous person in this room. That is such good news for you. (laughs) Because none of us are righteous. Because each of us are too dirtied by sin. For God to to credit us that that we would deserve His ear. But He's so good to us. He's so good to every one of us to hear us. That we could call out to Him. He knows our deepest secret sins. And He died for them too. Look, God's not afraid of your sin. He's not too small to love you while He forgives your worst deeds. But how sad is it for those who place their hope in other things? So Jonah Jonah understands that in verse 8. That he serves this God who is able to know his worst sins and love him perfectly. But what about those who pay regard to vain idols? If you're listening to me this morning, if you can, if you can hear my voice, if, if you are watching online or in this building or even outside in the lobby... You've been offered this hope of steadfast love in the one true God. That's true for people who can't hear me this morning too, just by the way. But for you who can hear me, you have been offered this hope of steadfast love. Don't forsake it. For those who are forsaking God, for those who Jonah is lamenting here, you forsake this loving Father for what? You turn away from God for what? What do you gain? The intimacy of some guy or some girl? The temporary pleasure of a substance? The promise of a paycheck? The logic of a man? That's all in vain. It's all vanity. It has no value. It doesn't last. But what about the steadfast love of Jesus? It lasts and lasts. It never ends. It's always good. It's always worthy. It's always worth it. It's worth living for. It's worth suffering for. It's worth calling out at the bottom of the ocean for. I mean, imagine sinking in the storm, in this 
in this crazy storm. Imagine sinking to the bottom of the ocean and calling out for some more money. If I just had a little more money, save me. If I just had a little more knowledge, if I could have just known a few more things, I could have put the universe together. We're all calling out for things before Christ. The truth is that we're all sinking in that ocean, unable to help ourselves. And we're calling out the worthless, vain idols, forsaking the love of a good father. A good father saying, here I am. We're saying, just a little more. Just a little more of the other things. That'll work. But had Jonah done that, had Jonah called for other things, he would have died. Instead, Instead, he lived to give thanks and offer sacrifices with joy because he called out to the one to whom salvation belongs. He knew who owned salvation, and he called his name. He remembered. He said, I've forgotten, God. I've forgotten you. And it took being covered by weeds and roots, imagining no more breath, say, but God, I do remember, you're the one who offers salvation. Here's the main point of this whole text, and, and really, I think this is the main point of the whole book of Jonah. If you're taking this with you, here you go. Salvation belongs to the Lord. It's verse 9. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Look at this in verse 9. I mean, God, do, God doesn't just have access to salvation. He doesn't have a key to some door. He is the door. The lie that there are many ways to God, that we can be saved on on, on just being sincere in our faith, is a lie. Because it's not that that Jesus is one with access and there are also others. Jesus is the access. John 10, 9, Jesus says, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. Church, what a gift you have. You're not sitting here on accident worshiping some false idol that will end up in vain when you die. You're worshiping a God who is the door, who when you die you will be joined with forever to worship and enjoy. It's good for us. This isn't some TED talk I'm giving to you today. This is the word of the living God who loves us and has opened himself himself up for us. He is the door. Salvation belongs to him. So who are we, church? We just proclaim the one to whom salvation belongs. It doesn't belong to you. It belongs to your Savior. So we go forward with his message. Look at Jesus. Hey, you sinking with no hope for salvation, look at the one to whom salvation belongs. We're called to be people who proclaim the gospel because we love the one who is the gospel. To be delivered from your sin, you don't need a special code or a secret sauce. You need Jesus. Deliverance is His to give. Deliverance is His to give. From eternity past, it's always been His. 
If that's true, we should ask, what is salvation? If salvation has been His from eternity past, what is salvation? In its most basic sense, it's being made right, to be put right in a right relationship with God. That He designed us to be with Him, to fellowship with Him, to enjoy Him and to be enjoyed. He made us for that. And salvation is just to consummate that. It's to take it and make it what it should be. He's the only one who can make you right with Himself. And He's made that possible to you today spectacularly through Jesus. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Isn't it wonderful there? He, it was about to happen. And we read that now knowing it did happen. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. Why? Because the people of Nineveh repented. They repented at the preaching of Jonah, and behold, something greater than Jonah is here. Consider for a moment what the sailors must have thought after they threw Jonah into the ocean. Go back to verse 17 and think about that. The storm was raging. Can you imagine being on a boat on the ocean with a raging storm, see the, the waves tossing up above your ship? You throw this guy in, and the sea is calm. I can imagine the sailors running to the edge of the boat, seeing if Jonah would float to the top. He's okay, he's okay, it worked. But Jonah didn't rise to the surface. He was gone. And to the world, Jonah was dead. No one would have known that God was working while he was in that fish. Even though God spared Jonah, it does serve us as a picture of death. For Jonah, it was just a sign. It was a sign of Jonah. It was a sign that God has the power to raise the dead to life. It was a figurative sign, but in Jesus, we see the sign become a reality. Jesus wasn't alive in the belly of the tomb. Jesus died for our sins, a true death, a death we deserved. He took our place, and He wasn't spit out onto a beach somewhere. <laughs> he literally rose from the grave, a dead man coming to life. Nineveh turned to God. Think about this. Nineveh turned to God because of the work of God to send a fish to eat a guy and spit him out. Will you, will you not turn to God because Jesus died and rose again? What is greater? What is greater? That a fish might eat a man? I mean, there was a story like a few months ago about a guy in Maine who got swallowed up by a well. Like it really happened like a few months ago. Jonah's not the only guy who's ever been swallowed by a fish apparently. How much greater for us that our hope isn't in a man who got spit out on a shore, but our hope is in a man who left a grave empty. That he is alive and well, sitting at the right hand of the Father, and he is coming again soon. 
We know it for a fact. We have no doubts. The Word of God is true. Maybe you're here and you once believed in God. Maybe you once would have called yourself a Christian. and Maybe now you aren't sure. There may be some of you who haven't said that out loud, but have have thought that in your mind. I'm just not sure if I really believe this anymore. You look at your life, and there's no fruit of a spirit living inside of you. You look at your friends, and you don't desire to live for Christ. You desire to live like the world. Maybe you just don't know. But I want to ask you a question. What made you believe Jesus rose from the dead to begin with? I mean, if, if you're sitting here and, and you've once claimed Christ and now you're not sure, what made, you, what made you believe that Jesus rose from the dead at all? If you're being honest with yourself, my guess is that it wasn't just because your parents wanted you to. I hear that a lot. That's a common testimony that I did what my friends did and that can happen. I'm not... I'm not saying that's not true for some of you. But I, I think for many of you, there was something bigger than you that grabbed you and said, this is true. And you couldn't shake it. But when it came time to live for that Savior who died for you, you said, I can't do it. I'd rather have my own way. What God's Word keeps calling us back to is that, yes, this is true. You feel the yearning for this truth in your soul. And what the world keeps letting you down with will keep letting you down, and it will let you down for eternity. But the Savior who rose from the dead will hold you up, will cover you in His blood for all of eternity. Your heart yearns for this to be true because it is. Because it is true. You know your sin. And you know this life is not an accident. You know the one who made this life can't be pleased with your sin. You know you need saving. And the gospel of the Bible, the gospel of Jesus Christ, is the perfect answer to your need. It's the perfect answer to your yearning. It's clear. It's coherent. It withstands every skepticism because it is the truth. question for you is, will you believe? Will you believe? Stop waiting for a sign. Stop waiting for something more than has been given. Jesus died for your sins and rose again. And if you believe that for your salvation, you will be saved to an eternity with Jesus. That is better than anything this life could imagine. The sign has come. The Lord is risen. And He is coming again. I want to pray over you. And after I pray, I'm going to be at the back. And I would love to have a conversation with you. Christian, we're not to be filled with guilt. We're to be filled with hope as a people who repent Jonah is praying a prayer of hope. My hope for you this morning is not that you would hear this message of repentance and be filled with shame. 
that you would be filled with hope for a future of a God who loves you and forgives you and doesn't hold your sin over your head. He casts it as far as the east is from the west. And if you're here and you don't have that forgiveness, I'd love to talk to you as well. Be bold today. Be brave. Don't keep waiting. Father, we thank you that you've loved us so richly. God, to try to comprehend the kind of love you have for us is, is impossible. But God, we thank you that you've given us bits and pieces, that you've given us fragments of understanding that we can know it is so good. God, that we were your creation, that we are your creation, that we are made in your image. In our sin, we rebel. And instead of giving up on us, God, you have given yourself for us. God, thank you for my testimony. Thank you for saving me out of a life of hopelessness and from an eternity of separation from you. God, thank you for doing that in the most intimate way possible by sending your son to save us. That he lived a life perfectly that I could not live. And he did it in such a way that he could know me perfectly. That he died on the cross, taking my sin on his shoulders. But that he didn't stay dead. <laughs> Father, we're grateful to serve you, a living God, a God of the living. As we continue to sing now, God, I ask that you help us to sing in this spirit and in this truth. And we know that we are more than conquerors, but not because of our own strength, not because of our own righteousness or goodness, but because of yours. God, I ask that for those here who don't know you, God, that you would stir them to courage. They would call on your name and they would profess it to those around them. God, we trust you for these things. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.